you know, as I've told people, this is nothing more than a virus, in my opinion, from the data that I have, that was paid for and designed by the United States and built in China. And the Americans thought they were playing the Chinese, and the Chinese thought they were playing the Americans. And I can guarantee you there's other nations involved. And the people that got caught in the crossfire were all the other people. Ready to live at the higher vibrations, where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. It's Robin Openshaw, and welcome back to The Vibe Show. I could not be more excited to bring you uh, Dr. Richard Fleming. I do believe he is a PhD immunologist, vaccinologist, a JD attorney, and an MD medical doctor. Is that right? Well, I'm a physicist, nuclear cardiologist, attorney. Yeah. So that's oh, is that all? <clears throat> is yeah. that all? Okay. A physicist, nuclear cardiologist, attorney. So the first time I saw you speak, I literally had to watch it three times because I was like, I missed some stuff. Oh, I still missed some stuff. What in the heck is a nuclear cardiologist? That's a cardiologist dumb enough to take more training. Um, so, you know, the nuclear isotopes that I've had so much fun with over the years were brand new research drugs when I came through. And so I was one of the people who helped write those protocols and then further attack those protocols. And then I'm also trained in positron or antimatter imaging. And there's actually only three of us that are certified in the world. And I'm the only American. There's a lot of people that do it, but there's really only three generations of real positron uh, physicians. So Tergosian was the first one and he trained Schubert, Schweigert and Gould. And then Gould trained nine of us, but only three of us got certificates. So Schneider of Switzerland and Yoshida of Japan and myself. Okay. So nuclear cardiology is using nuclear science in the practice of cardiology. I was like, is he studying the effect on the heart of nuclear toxins or okay i got it right i'm i'm sort of glad that i don't know what a nuclear cardiologist is because i feel really bad for the people who need to use such services but well you know the reality is that much of what came out of the out of Fleming method as as it's being abbreviated to now for people is that it defines where your state of health is it's not a yes no it's an actual quantitative measurement so it defines all the way from one end of the spectrum of health to the other but because of that, it provides a tool that's absolute, that's accurate, sensitive, and reproducible, which means if you were in Dallas, Texas, or if you were in Tampa, Florida, or if you were in Beijing, China, you would get the same results if it was you, which means it's also then useful for any treatment like we did with the SARS patients. So we can do an image, evaluate the problem, provide a treatment, and immediately follow up um, after the treatments had a chance to work to know whether that treatment worked for you, which is much more critical than whether we think drugs work or, or may or may not work or how uh, they may work for 85% of the people. Well, what if you're one of the 15%? Wouldn't you rather know now than in six months when, you know, you might be dead? So it's, it, it provides, it's a paradigm shift. It really has changed what we're doing and we planned before. 2019 to really launch it for heart disease and cancers. And then 2019 happened and our lives like yours got changed and we used it for SARS-CoV-2. Okay. So I think that uh, the first time I saw you was on Del Bigtree's show. Later, I saw you do a four and a half hour presentation. I had, I had to come back and listen to it in chunks because it was four and a half hours. 
that you did in Dallas live. It was really excellent. And you did everything for me, brought that Chinese scientist on who literally comes on and says, they're trying to eliminate me. And I'm here to tell you this, this virus is made in a lab. Brave of her, brave of you to bring her on. You did, you did that. You did so many things that were like visual, like that was an amazing four and a half hour presentation. You guys can all see it on the highwire.com. It was from approximately the beginning of June, I believe. What is June 5th? June 5th. Okay. So another thing that, another thing that he did is he literally has strangers come up out of the audience. It's like he wants to double blind placebo control everything. And people come up out of the audience and he gives them a box of each of the, each of the, um, vaccine brands and they open them up and they open up the inserts. You guys, I can't reproduce this for you right now. Open up the, the inserts which are folded up pieces of paper to go inside the box of the Moderna or the Pfizer jab. And they open them up. And in one box, there's, there's piece of paper that are this big and they open them up. So they're literally like, imagine maybe like bigger than an 11 by 17 piece of paper. And there's three of them and they open them all up. And all it says, these are the inserts for these vaccines that people are injecting themselves with, like half of America has injected themselves with. And it says, all three of them say intentionally left blank. That's your, that's your informed consent. And right. he, he, you're, you're, you're such a scientist that you're like, oh, I, I don't, you, you told me before we got started today, well, I don't have any feelings about it. I'm a scientist. Well, I have some feelings about that. As a, as a mom of five, I have some feelings about my children in college being arm twisted to get, to get these products when all the, all the information that I can find about it is found on three pieces of paper that say intentionally left blank. So backstory, Dr. Fleming. Um, so, I, so I watched you on Dell Big Tree, and then I watched it, and then I watched it again, watched it three times, and took notes so that I could ask you my own questions. And then um, I, so my backstory is that February 27th of 2020, right? So that's before two weeks to flatten the curve. That's mm-hmm. that's before anybody's even thinking something weird's going on here. I was out there saying we're being lied to. Biomedical search engines in China show that it's between. 0.04 and 0.12% die of this virus. Like, Hey guys, this is, we're being way oversold on the lethality of this virus. Will you tell us for us as a practitioner, as a scientist, when did you get involved? When did you start speaking up? What was the thing that bothered you most? Was it the ivermectin? What, what, what is it? Right. So when the virus, um, so in, it's fair to say back in 1994, I actually put the theory together that explained why viruses produce these types of diseases along with a variety of other factors. And then the test that I had briefly mentioned that measures changes inside the body um, had were already laid out, already previous work that I did. And so when SARS-CoV-2 uh, really hit the scenes, you know, my attention got obviously drawn to that. By January of 2020, uh, it was clear that, at least to me, that there wasn't a an organized, well thought out approach of what to do with this. <clears throat> uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of uh, a variety of, of, of problems, and so I basically just sat down and did what I do as a as a, as a researcher, which is to say, what do we know about this? Um, what do we know about finding it? What do we know about analyzing it? What do we know about potential treatments for it? And began a very intensive, um, about a three, three and a half month literature search sorting through published data 
analyzing it because I review for about 16 or 17 or 18 journals. And so as a, I'm one of the people who reads papers behind the scenes and critiques them and makes decisions about what does and doesn't get published. In fact, I actually resigned from two journals uh, in 2020. One was The Lancet and one was British Medical Journal Open Quality because I was unhappy with the uh, lack of credible review of papers that was going on. And that was the only way I had to uh, speak up scientifically. So I reviewed all that and then I put a research study together and then it was clear that that wasn't going to happen in the United States with all the uh, controls that we're implementing. So I began a study outside of the United States uh, in seven different countries and analyzed that research. And then as that study was going on, so we launched, launched somewhere about mid-April, which took, uh, I think it was June or July when we had finished that. And then it took me a month to analyze the data because of the complexity of the design of the study. Um, as I was going through all that, then I simply, being the researcher that I am, got more and more intrigued with data that I was finding. And I dug further and further into databases and uh, publications that people like Barrick and Dezak and Shi Zengli and others had published and research grants that had been submitted to them and patents that had been approved to them. And uh, then I began, uh, you know, working with a lot of other colleagues around the world that had tremendous amounts of data uh, to, to share. They were doing it on social media networks and they were doing it behind the scenes with me and and I've had a great privilege to work with people like Luke Montagnier and, and John uh, Claude Perez and uh, Kevin McCarran over in Japan. A variety of people that have just contributed a wealth of information scientifically as opposed to certainly all the opinions that people have. But it's critical to put it together scientifically. Um, you know, the the all the... Uh, you know, headlines of Fauci being this head scientist and virologist raises serious questions and concerns for real research scientists like myself, because now, you know, it's kind of like, you know, my parents, not so much when I got my, my physics doctorate, but when I became a doctor, they said, you know, we don't really like doctors, right? And I said, well, you know, I am one, right? And then when I became a lawyer, they said, you know, we really don't like lawyers or attorneys. And I was like, we, but you know, I am one, right? I mean, it's like, but and they would always say, yeah, but not you, obviously. But um, so as a scientist, you know, I don't I don't get emotional about it, but I do take it as a personal insult when I, I now have to now defend science because of people that are doing bad science. I mean, I, I gave a presentation last night and somebody was recording. Well, not somebody. A lot of people were recording in the audience. And one of them, I asked a question. I walked over to and she kind of turned the cell phone aside. And I said, are you are you recording right now? You know, and she said, yeah. And her question was about Fauci. And I said, OK, so just point the cell phone towards me. And I said, I have not seen Dr. Fauci submit a single paper of significance since HIV when I was in medical school through SARS-CoV-2 uh, to suggest that he should be taken as a credible scientist in this field. And anytime, anywhere, any place he wants to have a debate, uh, I'm, I'm open to it. I, I realize that the last person who did that is now dead. But, um, you know, that was uh, Carrie Mullis, who, who, who developed the PCR test. And, you know, I think Carrie and I, I never met him. It's, you know, he's one of those people that I've looked at some of his interviews and, and thought, it would just be nice to have a conversation with him because I think I could have one of my 
scientific conversations that I find rewarding with another scientist uh, to share thoughts and ideas. But um, <clears throat> not going to happen now. You think that it's um, rather interestingly coincidental that he died in November, right before we all ever heard of COVID. Um, and a- after having said that Fauci is a fraud and that the PCR test should never be used to diagnose viruses. Am I wrong? Yeah. Um, so he died actually from a pneumonia in, in November. <laughs> of Ironic. All things, right. Um, so, and I do want to, I, so I'm going to make one comment about the PCR test because it was a brilliantly designed test. Okay. Um, and, and if you go look at the patent that Kerry Mullis has had for PCR testing, it stops at 20 cycles. And he showed in, in the patent, which you have to do. I mean, I've got a patent. You have to prove that it works. It's not just for a lovely thought or idea. They don't give you a patent for that. You have to prove what you're talking about works. And, and so his data shows that at 20 cycles, you get everything that's there. And that's where you stop it. And that's how the test was designed to be used. And so the PCR test, the way it's been used for SARS-CoV-2 and or COVID-19, which is the disease, which COVID-19 is not a virus, it's the disease produced by the virus, that when you go above 20, you're really, you're not using the test properly, you're using it incorrectly. And it's also true that the test looks for genetic data, it does not define a disease state. And so that's, I know people kind of loosely say that, but I just feel scientifically I need to state it as I think Terry himself would have said it. And the, and the funny thing is, is that it, it was used under emergency use authorization. So it, it, it wasn't being used the way it was designed. It, it, it intentionally just botched up the job and, and abused Kerry Mullis's name as far as I'm concerned and his test. It's being used under emergency use authorization, which can only be done if you believe that there are no treatments that actually work, which is a fallacy. And it's being used to promote uh, drug vaccines, which are experimental tr- treatments that, that are being used on people under an emergency use, author- use authorization uh, document that shouldn't even exist because there's treatments at work. So, yeah, do I find it coincidental? Uh, yeah, I find it very interesting and, and a little disconcerting, to be honest with you. So I, I think it was January 20th of this year, 2021, that during the Biden inauguration, the World Health Organization announced that they wouldn't consider anything over 30 PCR cycles to be considered a positive COVID test anymore, which by implication means that pretty much it was anything goes Mm -hmm. 30 cycles, 35 cycles, 40 cycles. Right. Almost all of those in that range are false positive, but we were calling those COVID. Am I wrong? And what I think what you're saying is that, Carrie Mullis said that anything over 20 isn't a positive test for anything ever. Right. When, when you reach the peak and what he did in the patent is he showed how many cycles you had to do to get a positive result that was correct. And when you hit 20, you got everything that was there that was correct. And that's when you stop. So Carrie didn't do 40 or 50 cycles or even 36 cycles because that would be invalid. And it's not the way his patent was written. And the Chinese, it's interesting to note that back in 2006, there was a paper published out of China where they put four viruses together, 2006, okay? 
And the four viruses that they confirmed using PCR testing, keeping it at 20 cycles, was a sequence that combined hepatitis C virus, HIV, SARS-CoV-1, and SARS-CoV-2. Will you explain what you believe scientifically the evidence shows this virus actually is? Yeah, so there's several things. One is that there is a very specific insert called a furin cleavage site, which is four sets of amino acids that are inserted that don't exist in any other coronavirus on the planet. So it's it's called PRRA. So it's proline, arginine, arginine, alanine. So every amino acid has a different letter of the alphabet to denote what it is. So you can shorthand it in science. But for every one of those four amino acids, there's three nucleotides that are required for that. And so mutations occur one nucleotide at a time, not not 12, right? Four amino acids times three is 12, not 12. And then if you look at um, other documents that Shi Zhang Li reported where she took HKU4 spike protein back many years ago now and altered intentionally stated she made two mutations to it to make it infective in humans, you have that, those published pieces of data, which you, as she described it, she used HIV glycoprotein pseudovirus to make it happen. If you look at Luc Montagnier and, and Jean-Claude Perez uh, analysis, and you have to remember, Luc Montagnier is the man who got the Nobel Prize for discovering HIV, right? So the man who discovers HIV does an analysis of SARS-CoV-2's genome and finds, remember I said 12 nucleotides for PRRA? Well, there's 1,770 nucleotides in this spike protein that are identical to HIV or SIV, which is simian or ape immune deficiency virus, that that aren't there in other coronaviruses. Okay, so... It's really hard to put together that this is kind of a, an accident of, of, of uh, a mutational change when they occur one nucleotide at a time. I mean, one nucleotide gets you sickle cell anemia, right? And two nucleotides gets you dead. And that's how, that's how evolutionary changes and mutational changes occur. It's only useful when, when that one nucleotide actually provides a survival benefit. And, and when it doesn't, Things die. Um, so when you when you jump, I'm sorry. When you, I mean, it's just a little mind-boggling that anybody would not grasp this. Um, and I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying that they would even try to pull this off and get by with it. When you're talking about 12, that's a little outlandish. And when you're talking about 1,770, that's when you go, um, uh, "Hello, do I really have to telegraph that to people?" Then what happens is because the spike protein is a molecule, when you do these inserts, it changes the structure. Kind of like if you have a box and you step on it, you know, you, you change it because you're interacting with it. So putting these inserts in there changes the structure of the spike protein. And on the very top of the spike protein where it first attaches to what's called the ACE2 receptor on cells, which is only the first step in the sequence, it produced a change in the in that area called the regional binding domain, and, and the change is referred to as a prion-like domain because it's a change in the in the structure that produces prion-like diseases. And we know this from animal models that it's already been tested in, 
that the animals uh, develop uh, Lewy bodies for Alzheimer's or they develop spongiform encephalopathy, which is generally referred to as mad cow disease because it makes the brain look like a sponge. <clears throat> now, interestingly enough, also thanks to Jean-Claude uh, Perez and Luc Montagnier, they've done analysis of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and compared the genome of those vaccines with the genome of the actual SARS-CoV-2 original virus. And it turns out that the genomes don't match. But one area that they do match identically is in that prion-like domain. So of all the things that were secured in the genome, that prion-like domain was secured. And you just look at that and, you know, Part, part of the change, obviously, was because they couldn't make a stable mRNA, so they, they, they probably needed to alter it. But the reality is it's not identical to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So what are they trying to do with the vaccines? You've been deep in that, and you're a pro-vaccine, allopathic guy. <laughs> like, you're – I'm a – right. I'm not – I don't pretend to be anything else. I'm a uh, vaccine-injured mother in grad school, I was injured by the flu vaccine. And then I injured that same year, my son. And I've been on a journey ever since to understand that for 25 years. Right. Um, and, and, and understand how we could have been never given any information that could have led us to have made other decisions besides those decisions that damaged us for life. What are they doing with this one? You, so you, 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 like the idea of vaccines, you believe that the vaccines to date are safe and effective, but this one you differ from because... Well, to begin with, I, you know, yeah, I'm an allopath, so I believe in the, uh, in the concept of, of uh, exposing people intelligently to potential things that could cause consequences because I've seen rubella. You know, I've seen the consequences of these diseases. I'm not anti-vax. I'm anti-bad medicine. I'm anti-bad not doing it right. I'm anti, you know, I mean, I, I was an orderly back when in the 1970s because I thought it would be a good idea to get that experience before going to medical college and uh, took care of Guillain-Barre syndrome patients that, that had received swine flu vaccine. You know, we lost 25 people and we were smart enough as a society to say, maybe, maybe we need to put a stop on this for a moment and at least to reassess what we're doing. And, and I'll, um, let me, I'll interrupt you just to say for anybody who doesn't know. So in 1976, we were told that this swine flu was coming. It never really made an impact in the United States. But meantime, the U.S. government arm twisted 43 million Americans to get vaccinated for it. Um, and 4,000 of them got Guillain-Barre, some of them died. But you're, what you're saying, just to clarify that, is that when 25 people died, they, they stopped this human trial back in 1976. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. As a society, because, you know, uh, Lord knows we weren't humane back in 1975, right? 1976. We were just, because together we're, today we're all in this together. So that would suggest that we're somehow more humane people. And we've lost, uh, the last count I had was, 5,888, but I'm sure that's changed. Um, you know, so that lousy society back in 1976 um, that didn't care about people pulled the plug at 25, but today we're such a, a loving society that with close to 6,000, we're still moving on. Um, yeah, no, it's, it, it's, you know, the reality is this lipid nanoparticle, you know, vaccine that Pfizer and Moderna has has used for their mRNA of, of this virus, these things have been used for a couple of decades. And, and frequently, uh, 
well, up until now, primarily for cancer, and they've all failed <clears throat> miserably. I mean, you, you've never heard anybody come out with a news bulletin about, we now have a cure for cancer using this lipid nanoparticle technology. Moderna published a paper in 2017 looking at lipid nanoparticle vaccines, mRNA vaccines for influenza. And the animal studies showed that that lipid nanoparticle went all over the body, the brain, the liver, the spleen, the heart, the bone marrow, you name it, and, and the site of injection. So to claim that these things don't travel around, they just stay right there at the site of injection is, is a little bit disingenuous is a nice word for it. <clears throat> yeah, I saw, I saw this, uh, you know, vaccinologist, immunologist guy named Byron Bridal saying, mm-hmm. we've made a mistake. We've made a mistake. We thought that if we injected this into the deltoid muscle, that it wouldn't go anywhere besides the deltoid muscle. I, it's hard for me to believe that someone got a PhD in vaccinology, immunology, whatever it is his exact degree is in, and then worked for decades and thinks that a vaccine stays in the deltoid muscle. I mean, that defies the whole point of what you're actually accomplishing. Yeah. But he's like, but then we found that within a couple of days, we would test the spleen, the liver, the ovaries, the the uterus. And we now have in the published clinical literature evidence that in all of those places and many more, the spike protein shows up. We've got to stop this. We were wrong about it. And I don't, I don't think the evidence points to that. We thought that that's what would happen. And instead this other thing happened. What's your, what are your thoughts? Well, the problem is that there's all this prior research that was published that shows that it, the prior studies didn't stay in that site. So it, it, it's hard for me to take that to, um, it would be extremely naive for someone to not be familiar with their field and not be familiar with the prior research on it. I mean, if the stupid cardiologist can do it, and granted, I had an interest in, in investigating, you might think the virologist in the field would, would, would have a good handle on it. So I, you know, that's up to him to try to justify that. You know, the data speaks very clearly. The shedding concept has a problem because as I showed during the presentation, you know, the FDA and Health and Human Services actually released a document in 2015, I think it was August of 2015, for guidance to the industry on what to do on shedding from mRNA and DNA. uh, What They didn't even call them drug vaccines. They called them gene therapy, which is a little bit more shocking because it's like, okay, um, your word's not mine, but I haven't gotten along with these people in in decades anyway, so that's okay. Um, Can can I interrupt? Did you want to finish that thought? Because I got to make sure I ask you about the shedding because my audience probably cares most about that because most of my audience already didn't get the vaccine. Did you want to finish that though? Yeah, so I'm going to finish because I'm going to go to another vaccine that people are beginning to tout, which is the Novavax vaccine. Okay, so and, and, and I'll try to hit them all here. So Janssen and AstraZeneca both are adenoviruses carrying DNA and they're not even making any pretense because if it's DNA, it has to get into the nucleus to begin the process of transcription to make RNA and then translation to make the proteins. So recognizing that the vaccines, instead of being a, a whole virus where you might get hundreds or thousands of viruses from somebody else coughing or spreading or sneezing or coughing, whatever, a respiratory pathway, and that each one of those requires a receptor to get into a cell, um, the lipid nanoparticles contain 13.1 billion mRNA, and the Janssen uh, AstraZeneca uh, had 50 billion in in their in their vaccine. So a substantial increase in numbers, which explains why we're seeing so many complications, immunologic thrombotic complications in people. And it should have been inspected. I, I expected. I think an intelligent scientist would tell you it would. But the newest one that 
some people are defending is Novavax. And this is the one that I just briefly that, you know, my question as somebody who's done 53 years of research is trying to figure out under what drug induced uh, psychotic state you were dreaming about this and came up with this as an idea. Because what it is, is it uses a virus that cannot infect people, but can only infect moths, M-O-T-H-S. And they put the, the DNA in this vaccine, injected into moths, where the moth makes bits and pieces of spike protein that then have to be assembled once you harvest it from the moths and attached to nanoparticles along with adjuvants to increase the immune response and then inject into people. So my thought is, I'm not sure how you consider that safer because it's still using this mRNA approach, but it went one step more uh, schizophrenic, if you will, into the area of, uh, I, I know, let's take a virus that doesn't infect humans, but will infect moths, and let's put that in the moth to get it to make a partial thing that won't even be complete. But if we attach it to nanoparticles, we can make something that will kind of be complete. And we'll just inject that in people. And I don't know what drug-induced state you're in when that comes up as a good idea. But if you're out there promoting that, and I know some doctors that are out there promoting that, you, you should you should not be talking about things that you don't fully understand. Maybe, I don't know, read something. Um, so, okay, so that kind of beats to death uh, vaccines. Yeah, shedding, you know, we don't know uh, exactly what that is, but we do know that this is not a new concept. I mean, 1990 or 2015, the FDA and Health and Human Services, which, by the way, helped to pay for this bioweapon, the, uh, the document was basically, what do you do with these types of things? We do know that there's really two uh, concerns. One is uh, transmissible or transferable vaccines. Uh, of which the most research has been done in the bat of all things, where you inject the bats or you put a paste on it. So it's, it's, it's uh, transferable if it's a topical paste and it's transmissible if it's an injection into it. And it's not very clear, I think, exactly how that happens, but there clearly has to be something emanating from the animal. I think the topical is more obvious because, you know, another animal touches it, it transfers off. That's easy to get. The one that's concerning, I think, is the self-amplifying mRNA vaccines, because way back in March, when I was beginning to give some presentations here in Dallas, I said it was, I did not think it was possible to just put the mRNA for the spike protein in a vaccine and get people to make enough of it, just to get what we were seeing, that the earlier part of the genetic of the mRNA is something called open reading frame 1A and 1B. And within that, there's enzymes that are made. And one of those enzymes is something called replicase, you know, to replicate or to make more of. And it turns out that that's what a self-amplifying mRNA vaccine is. And they've been doing about two decades worth of research on it. And so what it does is it doesn't just have the genetic uh, material for the antigen, or in this case, the spike protein, but it has the genetic information, the mRNA for the replicase and all of that gets put in. And when you do that, it really boosts the immune response. And when you read through the papers, they're very interesting because they've done this for a lot of viruses and they do it in animal models. And they, you can see when they did it, you know, for like HIV, they've done this research for animal models. And so you look at the animals and all these viruses and it's dogs, cats, mice, rabbits, you know, that animals, right? And they get up to HIV, or you get up to SARS-CoV-2. And it turns out that the animal model that it's being tested on is human. Oh. 
What, what about the, um, you mentioned the lipid nanoparticle. Are you talking about the polyethylene glycol that is the lipid membrane around the, um, the Pfizer and Moderna? At least I don't know about the others. Right. So, I mean, uh, really the a lipid nanoparticle isn't so much, uh, polyethylene glycol, although it's really good for antifreeze. Oh, and, and I do know that there's some of that that's supposedly in there, along with some other chemicals that aren't even supposed to be used in humans. Again, I go, what was the FDA thinking? I mean, the panel, I, I have to, I have to tell you, I watched the panel and I thought that was the, mo- that was not a scientific review of anything. I mean, when the chairman pushes through questions and doesn't allow discussion, I also find that embarrassing as a scientist physician because, you know, all of you were watching this, right? Or at least had the potential to watch it, which makes you wonder if we do things like this all the time, which makes me feel like I now have to defend what I do, right? So you mentioned antifreeze, and I got to ask about that because when you say lipid nanoparticles, I'd love for you to tell me what the difference is between that and the fact that, I mean, polyethylene glycol is apparently an ingredient of at least Pfizer and Moderna. And you mentioned antifreeze. I believe antifreeze is ethylene glycol. And I've been told, well, it's not antifreeze. It's polyethylene glycol, not ethylene glycol. And I'm like, okay, I did not, I am not a chemist. And I have multiple advanced degrees and none of them are in chemistry, but isn't that just several molecules of ethylene glycol, which is antifreeze? Right, that's that's what poly means, is many. So many ethylene glycol. Um, you know, there might be a subtle difference in that, but the reality is you have to look at it and, and, and it's chemically very, very similar and it's designed to lower that freezing point. The, the lipid nanoparticle is basically a lipid, a fat layer. And the interesting thing is that then what it does is it just merges with the cells. So it doesn't even require the ACE2 receptor to get in. And that's why it can download billions of mRNA versus hundreds or thousands over the course of what would be a normal transmission. It's also exquisitely- Download, download millions of transmissions. Tell us more. So it's actually, well, so the mRNA is basically the genetic code. um, And basically the lipid nanoparticle just fuses with the cell membrane and releases everything into the cell. So that's kind of downloading. I I don't want to give too much uh, credence to this nonsense. uh, computer technology that these guys seem to be using because, you know, basically um, what that tells me uh, for them is, but it's downloading it into it. And so uh, the my use of that term is different than their computer term. So um, if you have, uh, let's say you have diabetes and you have too much glucose floating around your, your, your bloodstream and your cells are saturated with how much they need, then the insulin receptors and the glucose receptors that insulin, potassium, and glucose that work together, those receptors down-regulate, they become less sensitive, but it's called down-regulation. And so they don't receive the glucose into the cells very well. And that means that you have to have more of them to get the same amount in. It turns out that you, if you want to correct that, you just do the opposite. You, You lower the amount of glucose in the bloodstream and the cells will go, wait a minute, I need glucose. Uh, and they upregulate, they become more sensitive. So my terms and, and, and their computer terms, I, I use differently, but I understand where you're coming from on that. 
Yeah, Bill Gates should really stick to the only viruses that I think he may know. And based upon his software program, maybe he doesn't know that much about those. Um, seems to have constant glitches that are that are built into the system. Yeah, so I think he should stay focused in the world of computer fantasy and not the world of, of actual medicine. Yeah, don't we don't we wish. So my audience will never forgive me if you brought up the shedding issue and we don't find out what else you know about that because my most of the people listening to my show at this point, because I've hit this hard and you know, everybody from gosh, I interviewed Bobby Kennedy last week to um Judy Mikovits, everybody who has something to say about what the media and the government and these seems to be subverted medical system is telling us. I've had all the people on my show who are asking questions about that and nobody can tell me anything about what is really going on with this shedding, but you did mention, and I got this from you. So it makes me wonder if you know something that you can share with us. My audience is probably more than anything else you could talk about interested in the shedding thing because Dr. Fleming, I don't know if you're seeing this, but because I'm an influencer and I have hundreds and hundreds of messages coming at me every day. I can't even open them. I literally say a prayer. God, please help me open the right messages today. But you know what they are? Is there people who did not get vaccinated mm-hmm. telling me? I mean, a lot of them want to tell me about people in their life just mysteriously dying. And they're calling it something besides right. the fact that four days before they got the job. Um, but the other biggest subject I'm getting is, and this happened to me. So I'll give you my my story. But it's... um. I, it might be over a thousand at this point, people who've told me stories like this. So I didn't, I'm not going to get the vaccine. I'm one of the 58% in America who has not gotten it, but I was sitting at the pool for two hours next to a neighbor. I didn't know very well, but I sat there and chit chatted with her. I wasn't that close to her. Like, I don't think my arm could reach out and touch her. Sat next to her and chatted with her for two hours. And that night I broke out in hives from my neck into my, to my, um, ankles and it would get better and worse, but I was covered with hives off and on for three weeks. Like my husband would come up and just touch parts of me and just be like, what is this? And it's never happened to me before or since, but I was covered with hives and I've heard all the bleeding things and the women who haven't had a period in a year who are perimenopause or menopausal suddenly hemorrhaging. I've heard the gamut, but lots and lots and lots of bleeding, lots of rashes like me or hives. Do you know what's going on and what did the U.S. government discover? Was it, would you say the CDC in 2014? Can you tell us anything you know about that? Yeah. So in, in, in 2015, they, you know, they released concerns for shedding phenomenon. There's clearly something that's being transmitted. We don't know what it is because we would have to conduct a research study, um, blindly in this case, because we don't know what we're looking for, uh, whether it's spike protein or something else that's going on. What we do know is that people that are having these symptoms are almost like they're getting vaccinated with it, with it, with the consequences, which raises the self-amplifying mRNAs and the transmissible uh, vaccines. And we know that they've been investigating it because I've, 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 you know, I've talked about this in the presentations that, you know, this is not a new concept. They've been working on this. Um, so what, how we've been approaching it is from the perspective of pretend you were vaccinated. That's how you should probably look at it. And so even though we can't say there's treatments for it, because God forbid that we actually, um, uh, you know, somehow the FDA and Health and Human Services and all that seems to think that they're practicing medicine. Uh, and, and there's not any constitutional authority for them to be doing that. But we we don't want to 
interfere with their fallacy that they're living with. Um, <clears throat> so on FlemingMethod.com under event 2021, if you drop down and go down to the very bottom, you will find out what I've put on there for proposed based upon the best medical evidence available. And it includes what to do um, to reduce your risk of beginning the, the viral infection to do from the treatments that we saw outside of the United States that were successful for people who got the viral infections but were symptomatic for the people who were hospitalized with COVID and proposed treatments based upon all that um, for treating people that were vaccinated and or shedding or uh, responding to shedding. And I can tell you that we've already started doing this again outside of the United States because God forbid we actually do it in this country. Um, although I will tell you that there are people that are using it in the United States and reporting tremendous responses in 36 hours or less. You're saying that people should use the Fleming method even if they've been exposed. And is this like ivermectin and there are other <clears throat> aspects to it? I mean, we'll definitely have in our show notes the right. link to your protocol, but are you saying that people should use this prophylactically if they think they're even, <clears throat> they've been exposed, they're about to be exposed, they will be exposed in the future, and if so, how long do they take it? Like people like me who right. really like don't <clears throat> want to take meds, I know that ivermectin is very, very mild and used safely in so many different applications. But and it's for me, it's been two months since this thing happened, you know. So I don't have the, I don't have the hives anymore. But you know, I I think a lot of us are really worried about what happens to all these people who just wrecked their sure. immune system. When forty two percent of us just wrecked our immune system, what right. can we be doing? Tell us and more so, about your protocol. So I can't tell you to take the protocol, but right. I can only tell you that I've put it there for people to consider and take to their doctors and have a conversation about them. By the way, we're going to be holding three new additional events. We don't have the exact times. One is going to be for the kids. And by that, I mean, secondary school and college to encourage them to uh, understand what's really going on, to encourage them not to get vaccinated and to encourage them to them, they and their parents to file documents with the school systems and the colleges and universities to say enough is enough. Um, I'm going to be doing an event with physicians to encourage physicians to rededicate themselves to their patients and to quit allowing the government agencies to threaten them in the practice of medicine and to con and to restore their oaths. And then the third one is going to be a book that, um, I hate to say this because it sounds like I'm just plugging a book, but um, I've put a book together uh, is called um, is by is COVID-19 a bioweapon, a scientific and forensic investigation, which lays out all of what happened, who's responsible, where the money flow is, what papers were published, which patents are there. And I view it as an indictment. And, and we're going to do that uh, over the course of the next several weeks. And we're also uh, looking for people that have been harmed because they haven't received treatment, whether that harm is from COVID, whether that harm is from the vaccines, because we have put together the necessary uh, legal documents to file in federal court. And we're going to take those cases to federal court. And all we need to do is find one honest judge. I'm sure there's at least one still left. I know there were, I know where there are some dishonest ones. We're going to do that. And then the documents are there for people to take and share with their physicians. Amazingly enough, the treatment of SARS-CoV-2 to reduce people from developing COVID is a, it's a massive amount of money that's required. It's, it's like $75 is what the drugs cost. 
Well, and, and that's the thing is if this was in fact a bioweapon that was inflicted on the world at great expense and tremendous amount of planning event 201, as you mentioned, um, there's not very many people in your field who are willing to speak up and say this, this is a real concern. And it is really clear that the biology of the, the virus itself can't possibly be jumping out of some bat that it just morphed into. Not very many of you saying it. You know, it's really sad is I have so many who are telling me that privately. They DM me. I, I had a, I had an MD tell me 15 months ago, I'll be your deep throat. And I'm like, I don't need you to be a deep throat. There's, there's the rare medical doctor who will actually stand out there and say it. And there's quite a few. In fact, let me read you a list I, I wrote down. I was writing down notes from finishing your four and a half hour talk in Dallas the other day. And I love all the plans that you have right there. And please do come back on the show when you're ready to release that book about the bioweapon of this vaccine, please do come back and let's talk specifically about the book and let's tease it. I don't have a problem with you pitching your book at all. I think we're all so grateful to those few in the medical profession who haven't been completely subverted, but just for fun this weekend, I wrote down this list and and I'm not setting you up for a trick question here. It's just a fun question. Let me read this list. All of these names begin with doctor. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh Dr. Richard Fleming, Dr. Wolfgang Vodarg, Dr. Knut Witkowski, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Hodkinson, Dr. Mike Yaden, Dr. Dolores Cahill, Dr. Judy Mikovits, Dr. Geert Vandenbosch. Okay, this was just off the top of my head. What is that? Ten doctors that I just wrote down off the top of my head. And again, this isn't a trick question because this is just me thinking out loud because I think this is this is super important. There's three things that all of these PhD virologists, immunologists, or MDs have in common, or in your case, you're a, also a JD and a PhD physicist. One of the things that these 10 have in common is that they're all speaking out against what they see as an agenda and as a travesty. You mentioned Barrick, Dezak, and Shi Zheng Li as being um, part of this whole scam that Tony Fauci has used them and enriched them. Um, and we could get back to that if we have time. So one of the things is that they're speaking up. Number two is that they have these credentials of MD, virologist, immunologist. There's a third thing that the 10 of you have in common. Hope this doesn't offend you, but I'm going to put it out there anyway. Do you know what it is? Oh, we've all been taken to task by the government in one way or another. Oh, I'm sure, but I don't, e- I don't even actually know that. Like I think at the time that I heard Garrett Vandenbosch go out there, um, I don't know what happened to him, but I heard what he had to say and I was like, oh dear. And same thing with you. I've never heard you talk about what the impacts are in, on your career. Are you being threatened? Are you being silenced? What, and I'd love to hear that from you. I haven't heard a word from, from what I have. You, you haven't spent your time on the stage talking about that. So I'm curious about it. The third thing that all 10 of these have is that they are either retired or completely independent and nearing retirement age. And I think that matters. Do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> I'm not sure if we're ever going to get to retire at this rate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very clear. And I will tell you also that the attorneys behind the scene that are actually stepping up to do something about this are also in that same scenario. They have basically had uh, their decades of careers. They are seeing something that they feel uh, very concerned about. Um for a variety of reasons, and they have, and and 
<clears throat> I don't know any of us, anybody on that list. And I would add Dr. Lee Man Yang, who's the virologist who escaped from Hong Kong, who is younger. But she is, uh, I, I've certainly done several programs with her, so she might be the exception out of there, but she's, you know, she's in hiding, um, almost like the rest of us at, uh, to some extent. Um, yeah, and that wasn't a comprehensive list. That was just me sitting down with my notebook for right. five minutes. I didn't do any research. I just was, I have been noticing, you know, like Mike Yaden and Dolores Cahill, right. they sold right. their biotech companies. These, these yeah. people are loaded and they can say whatever they want. I mean, their, their risk is it or their wealth is at risk, but they don't, right. they can, they're, you can't ruin their careers. Yeah. And, and most of us are, you know, even though they've in many ways tried to ruin our careers, our, our attitude is basically, you know, bring it on. Um, we're happy to take it on. The science is there and uh, we'll see who wins on this. Um, the reality is most of us have really just kind of accepted that, you know, it's, if, if we continue to, uh, if we do what so many have done, which is to fold in on this, it's basically lost. And, and it's not, you know, I don't think for any of us, it's an option. It's, it's just, uh, the ones that I know on that list and then many of them, it's not an option. We've, we've talked about it. It, uh, and there's, there's really just too much at stake this time around. You know, it's, it's been interesting to watch the evolution of the way that you speak from the first time I heard you speak. To now, it's been interesting to watch the evolution of um, Peter McCullough because I think he's the most published COVID author in America. And so he's a great asset to waking America up because I think he has 40 published papers <clears throat> on various aspects of COVID. But the first time I saw the man was on Tucker Carlson. <clears throat> and Tucker is a very good journalist and asked him five times, why? Why did they suppress all information about hydroxychloroquine. Why did they suppress and even in Australia threaten them with jail time physicians who might prescribe ivermectin after many decades of things like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, you know, being used off label. Nobody gave anybody trouble about it. And now all of a sudden worldwide physicians who want to suggest that you use ivermectin, which you can get at a feed store for an animal. Mm -hmm. They want to suppress that. They don't want it published. They don't want it being discussed. They don't want it being prescribed. He wouldn't say five times. And I think, I'm just reading between the lines. I think he went home and he couldn't sleep because he was asked by Tucker Carlson five times. And the fifth time he said, why, 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 why would our government, our, you know, Tony Fauci's of the world suppress this information? And he just said, that's for the investigative journalists to find out. And I was so disappointed in him. And so I appreciate you being willing to run this across the finish line like a lot aren't. Um, Peter McCullough is now. He is now. I think he went home and he couldn't sleep. And he's like, you know, if I'm going to go out there and talk, let's just, let's just talk. Let's just be real. Let's just lay it all out on. I mean, what, why hold, why hold the most incendiary 10% back? Do you, do you want to talk a little bit about the suppression of outpatient treatment? Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the problem here is that, you know, there's a lot of financial gain to be had by having no available treatments. And if you look at some of the conflicts of interest that exist, you know, with Tony Fauci and Moderna and, and, and Pfizer, if you look at where the monies went, I mean, in a large way, you wouldn't want anybody to know about monies that you provided or allowed to go out to somebody that developed a bioweapon. 
That's really, really not what you want. And it turns out that the, the same parties that are involved with the development of, of SARS-CoV-2 are the same people that are blocking the treatments from being used, are the same people that are paying for the vaccines to be developed, are the same people that have been pushing CRISPR technology with now some questions about that, are the same people that have been involved with self-amplifying mRNA vaccines. I mean, these are all the same groups of people, and they have a very strong vested interest and, and a conflict of interest that should be obvious. I've said this more than once when Senator Dr. Rand Paul asked uh, Dr. Anthony Stephan Fauci whether the uh, NIAID had provided gain-of-function research money on coronavirus that got over to Wuhan. I mean, Fauci did everything to dance around that question humanly possible. But, uh, you know, I have no difficulty, as I, as I told a group last night, I guess that's for the judge and the jury to decide, you know, the trier of facts and legal terms. But it certainly sounds like perjury to me, which is a federal crime. But I think also it's a, it's a, um, it's treason under the Constitution. And I think it is a, uh, you know, what Nazi Germany did to the Jews in World War II. Dr. Mengele is rolling over in his grave right now because this has been done to the entire populace. And when people think of a bioweapon, they think of something that kills people. That's not what a bioweapon does. Your best, your best weapon isn't something that kills the enemy. Your best weapon is something that demoralizes and destroys the enemy. Now you win. So, you know, there are a lot of financial and power conflicts of interest that are, are there. The question is, who's going to really throw who under the bus? That's, that's where we're getting to right now. When everybody is beginning to recognize see you know if i just said this a year ago i was a conspiracy theorist right at that point in time and i always have to point out to people that as an attorney the reason why the term conspiracy exists is because it's a real phenomenon you know it's when more than one person works together to do something that they shouldn't do so as you know when i hear conspiracy theories i yeah it's like um and that's a bad term why because is this not what we're talking about is a group of people who did something um, for whatever purpose. And the, the, the truth of the matter is that these, these are international crimes. I mean, I realize that the U.S. didn't sign on to the, uh, the International Criminal Court concept, but I, don't, I, I still don't think that prevents Fauci and the others from being taken to ICC in the end. I mean, I've already, I'm already working with people in Norway, in Spain, in Australia, in Canada, and in the United States on court cases. And trust me, there's nothing about this that says we're stopping. The question is, so these are the people that are the fall guys up front. Who's really running it behind the scenes? And that's the questions that, that people should ask. Because when you have the DOD funding more than half of Peter Dayzak, and the DOD does not work with the Girl Scouts and the Boy Scouts. And they provide Franz, who's an advisor who'd been uh, a former commander of Fort Detrick, which was a bioweapons, if it's not still, laboratory by the United States. You know, as I've told people, this is nothing more than a virus, in my opinion, from the data that I have, that was paid for and designed by the United States and built in China. And the Americans thought they were playing the Chinese and the Chinese thought they were playing the Americans. And I can guarantee you there's other nations involved. And the people that got caught in the crossfire were all the other people. 
Now, I'm more confident in saying that because I've actually got the scientific data. And instead of just taking other people's data and writing about it, we're actually doing the research and, and, and doing those types of studies and then collecting this solid, hard data. And I also am very big on recognizing the people that, that provide that. I mean, Kevin McCarron in Japan provided the, the, the knowledge base that said, look, he's one of the world's experts in, in, in primates, in macaques, and the, and the brain damage results that he saw in the animal models that he did research in matched the spike protein damage occurring in animals and, and the, and the amyloid type diseases, uh, the prion diseases occurring. And is, uh, and is that from the virus or the vaccine, those studies? It's or the spike both? protein. It's a spike protein. So it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's still the spike protein. And Jean-Claude Perez and Luc Montagnier have taken flack from people who just hate their work, but they, but they establish solid scientific evidence. So what, you know, the very thing that they tried to control us on, which was our ability to communicate with the world, you know, to, to clamp that down, has also been their very undoing because with enough interest, real scientists, researchers will communicate with each other and find a pathway to share data. And it may have taken us a while to do it. But you can still there, uh, tell that there is still integrity in the system because those researchers have worked together to do that. I mean, Judy Mikovits has used some of my research. I didn't even know Judy until a year ago when people said, you ought to communicate, you ought to communicate. So I, I sent her an email and said, Judy, I don't know if you know who I am. She said, I know who you are. It's your theory I use to explain things. And I didn't meet her until three to four weeks ago when we did a conference here in, in, in Dallas together. Several of the other people, you know, have, have gone out of their way to do this work and to expose things. This is a, there's not one person doing this. This is the end result of a lot of people standing up for what's right. And so while this is a really bad time, uh, in some regards, it's also a very good time in the history of, of humanity because if we stand our ground, what you're seeing are a host of people coming together, putting petty differences aside that we, we all might have argued with a few years ago because that's what we do. I mean, that's what scientists and physicians do. We do that. You know, I, I think you all think that we don't, but we do. You know, but it's in our little groups that we, we do that. We don't, you know, we don't do that on public display most of the time. Um, but it's also coalesced us into um, bringing this massive data bank together. And from other sources, I might add that, you know, um, um, it does pose a risk. But the reality is uh, these people have been playing this game for at least three decades. You know, the people that have taken Judy to task and me to task and some of the others to task. And as I tell people who did my rectal exam, we're now doing all of your rectal exams. And when it was just me out there, some abstract cardiologist, uh, it didn't matter much, but it's, it's hit home very deeply for people. And, um, and it's, you know, and now it's more obvious that, that things are not maybe as just as we would all like. But it, you know, it really means that people have to stand up and take some responsibility. You know, if you want, if you want your lives back, um, you have to fight for it. And we're helping to lead the way. You know, some of the stuff that's on FlemingMethod.com, there's petitions for people to sign. It's old-fashioned. You, you, you download them, you print them, you sign them, you mail them. 
but it's to your governors of the states, it's to the senators that you have, it's to the House of Representatives, and it's to, to President Biden, who has a name that I just love. I mean, that middle name, I, I don't even remember what it is without looking at it, but I think it's Jeanette or something like that. I it's like, okay, that's just a comedy for my brain that entertains me. Um, but to get that information out there and start signaling, we've had enough. And um, there are treatments. It is a bioweapon. There are treatments. The vaccines don't really make any difference. They really do not when you analyze the data. And there's potential risks. And people have, are getting paid off for this. Um, and, and they're all, they're all in that same group. It's all the same people. And when you look at it, you can, you can attach the government with the Helmsley Foundation, with people like Retraction Watch who get paid and funded by the Helmsley Foundation and the Arnold Foundation who just got out of Enron just before they came in to the Rockefeller Foundation, to DARPA, to, uh, the CIA folks that were connected in it. They've, they've all got their hands in it and they've all been working very nicely together. But what I see is as fingers start getting pointed, they're going to throw people under the bus. They're going to figure out who their scapegoat is. And the goal is to not let them have their scapegoats, but to take it all the way through the people that are actually responsible. And I knew when Redfield, when Robert Redfield, made his statement that they immediately clamped down on that this game was going to escalate because when he comes out and says, well, I'm no longer head of the CDC, but I am a virologist, which is code for, and I'm not a moron. And I'm telling you people, the story changed from, so it's a, it's, it's, it's not a naturally occurring thing. Maybe it's a lab leak, but we certainly didn't pay for it. Really? Really? Well, the evidence would suggest differently. How do you think that Fauci finally gets held accountable? I know that's a major objective of yours. Last question here. Can you tie together Fauci, Ralph Barrick, Peter Daszak, Xi Zeng Li? How do they all fit together and how do we hold them accountable? Because I know that you want to hold them accountable too. I mean, Fauci just seems to transcend presidencies and transcend political parties, transcend countries. I believe you're one of the ones that I've heard say, hey, he's, he literally controls all science. I, he seems to actually now be believing that he is science. He made a statement, you probably saw it, that if you criticize me, you are criticizing <clears throat> science. And I almost wonder if he's lost his grip on what science is, because that literally makes no sense, because science is always evolving and we are always asking questions. There's no, right. what? It's, it's, not a, it's not a religious cult. So <clears throat> can you pull those together at all? Because we all have a lot of questions about it. Absolutely. Well, the, the, for even during the period of time that gain of function was shut down as briefly as that was because of scientists saying, wait a minute, this has gotten out of hand. Anthony Fauci was still in charge of helping to circumvent that system and get money out. So the federal monies that went out got through NIAID, NIH, Department of Defense, Department of uh, USAID, Department of the Interior, Department of Commerce, Health and Human Services, Homeland Security, all went out of that federal government with the blessings of Anthony Fauci and the other people controlling that grant money to Peter Daszak, a nonprofit organization that allowed circumvention of the rules and the protections, who then provided that money to Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina. Hold on. So EcoHealth, Peter Daszak is EcoHealth, right? And you're saying he's a, he's a nonprofit. And that's your, I think you're saying basically look to launder Department of Defense money as well as other three letter agency money through 
EcoHealth, Peter Dazak to where are we going, Ralph Barrick? To Ralph Barrick at the University of North Carolina and Shi Zhang Li at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Okay. And they have published the papers showing that they modified these viruses and made them more infective. And the papers that everybody talks about that they, that, that they, uh, a few weeks ago, everybody got excited and said, oh, wait a minute, here's the spike protein and here's the backbone they were talking about. Had the people dug deeper, they would have found out that not only did they take that spike protein of one virus and the backbone of another, but they inserted five specific nucleotide bases in there, including one that's to the envelope that's critical for infecting the brain. So it's, you know, it's kind of like everybody got a little piece, but they didn't dig deep enough. And it's amazing. If you keep digging down, that paper trail continues to follow. And the more you dig into it, the more apparent it becomes. Uh, this isn't like an accident. It's kind of like those slides I show about all those all those funds. I look. I know those are small slides, and you have to download them on a PDF and maybe look with a magnifying glass. But the point is, it's not just a little money. It's not just one federal agency. It's not just one year. It's decades and millions of dollars intentionally and knowingly funneled around the system to people that are writing papers and presenting talks and getting patents that now the U.S. government has its bloody hands on because they get benefit from. But you just look at the papers and it's like, we don't, NIH is not involved in gain-of-function spike protein coronavirus. I'm sorry. One of the documents we have is a patent for modifying spike protein coronaviruses with gain of function that NIH gets money on. Yeah, and I think I think people think that um, these universities are, you know, above reproach and they're really just, you know, research institutions. No, they the Bayh-Dole Act, it's literally been 40 years now. They can profit and the people who work at them can profit. There's not a whole lot of difference between someone working at a university or somebody working at a nonprofit. I mean, we have we have come to a very, very corrupt place in our history. And we're we're excited to hear from you again about the time your book comes out. Please do come and share more with us on your research. I know you're just going to keep on going down down the um down the rabbit hole until you till you figure out what exactly is going on here with this you have called it a bioweapon and i'm going to say this because i know you said before we got talking that you don't have emotions about things these things because they're science and i've been getting emotional at the end of many of my interviews lately as it becomes more clear to me that and, and I'm going to let my person of faith out here for a second because I believe that science has brought us greatness. But I also believe that God put some people on the earth to, through their work in science, to help save us right now. And I believe that you're one of them. And so I want to thank you for your courage and for the broad ranging ways that you are taking on these institutions because most of your colleagues, sir, will not do it. They will well, not do it. And so... Yeah. I appreciate you. If you could tell us where, and will you just in, in, in your wrap up telling us where on the Fleming method people can find, um, remedies that, and, and your method, which of course you're not prescribing as a physician, but if you can tell me, would you, would you help those who have not gotten the job realize that if they got exposed and maybe they broke out in head to toe, 
rash like I did, that they're still not at nearly the risk as the people who got it injected because they're, they're really fretting about it. I mean, I've, I'm serious. Hundreds and hundreds of people have messaged me and they're, they can't, they can't completely stay away from people. I mean, I go to church on Sunday and I'm not going to stop going to church on Sunday because it's where I get my bucket filled. And guess what? People walk up to me and hug me at church and I don't want to be afraid of people hugging me. So like, can you help like manage people's, um, right. So, so I think it's, I I think that's an important point that there's no way in the world you could possibly get from somebody else as much as the person who actually got injected. Right. Um, I, I, I think, I don't think I have to explain that too far in detail for that to be obvious. You know, I mean, the person who got injected is the one that has the greatest concern, but on Fleming method under event 2021, if you just hold that tab and drop down to the very bottom, there's a variety of approaches that people can take to their doctors that will allow them to, to decide with their doctor if they want to do that type of treatment or not. And we've seen very good results um, in the people. And we just, you know, I, I, I released that on the 5th of June. Um, and I promised to people that I would wait until I actually did that event. So we're seeing the people responding to that. And I think that the, part of the treatment concept was to actually force the virus to replicate itself. That may sound backwards to to somebody listening to me, but I guess as a cardiologist for treating uh, cholesterol problems and that over the years, part of the goal is to is to deplete the problem. And the way you deplete the problem is to actually, in this case, force the virus or, or whatever is there to replicate itself and exhaust it. And so the treatment that was proposed or is proposed in that actually protects the nucleus of the cells to begin with and then encourages whatever is going on to replicate itself and exhaust itself and then to treat and take that out of commission. And we're seeing people that are doing this are reporting very good outcomes okay, um, in very short periods of time. And obviously, everybody's going to be a different mix on it. But there is, look, anything that a human being can make, a human being can address. And part of the goal is to open that up and cause it to replicate because your own genetic material has a repair mechanism that is is critical to humans and, and, and any anything alive. So anytime the DNA is opened up, this repair sequence occurs to check and make sure everything, and I'm sorry, this is kind of what the chemicals do as they go down the DNA chain. Um, so in my brain, I'm seeing that happen, um, that this repair mechanism is doing on an open chain to correct it and repair it. So the more often I can get that to happen, the greater the likelihood that your repair mechanisms that are already built into your DNA will do their job and repair and correct. And okay. it's just thinking ahead of that to prevent more harm from happening once you open that up. So I'm optimistic on that. Um, and I say that, you know, as a scientist optimistic, uh, because I believe that the science shows that it works. So the Fleming method.com. And do you have like a newsletter where people can stay up on what you're, cause you're talking about like an event yeah. that people's kids can come to. And people talk to me about that constantly. In fact, I have a, I have a um, page that I've been assembling 
Right. And I just, every time I see something by a doctor or a vaccinologist, immunologist that is speaking up about this in an articulate way and touching on different parts of it, including that little nine minute clip by Dr. Byron Bridal that I told you about where he said, you know, oh, it turns out that it doesn't stay in the deltoid muscle. It actually goes all over the body. You know, for instance, that um, I think that you, a video with you, an interview with you is on there, but I literally built this page. It's at takeactionforfreedom.com, which is one of my websites slash risks. Everybody here should go grab that page because what it's for is so that when you have a child who's willing to listen to you, and I bribed my kids. I said, I will pay you $500 if you go watch any three, because now they have a choice, right? Go watch any three of these videos or read one of these pieces. You know, there's one that I'm just putting on right now that's like a man who got both Moderna jabs and then he started researching. And the, the paper itself, you know, so it's not for people who are video watchers, it's for people who are readers, right? Some people prefer to read, some people prefer to watch videos. The actually, you know how it like estimates the reading length time. It would take you over two and a half hours to read the whole thing. And it's what this man learned after he got both Moderna jabs and and all three of his daughters did as well. And so it's all of his research, everything from the fact that 82% of women who are um, in the first 20 weeks of pregnancy are miscarrying right now. 82% of women in their first 20 weeks of of pregnancy are miscarrying right now. This is from the CDC. Okay. So everything from that to you name it. But um, if you, I, I don't know if you have a, a newsletter, but we'd lo- I'm sure a lot of people just love to follow you. Is that the best way to, is there a newsletter um, there? Yeah. So we're working on a newsletter Okay. <laughs> and we're working on all the rest of that stuff. Needless to say, I wasn't planning to do a website. Listen, we'll help you. We'll help you. By the time I get this published, talk to my team, get yourself a newsletter list. So we'll put it, we'll put it in the show notes if he has it. And if he doesn't have it and we publish this. Because we're publishing this, you guys. Now we're publishing on Odyssey. Everybody should go to. So you guys know me as Green Smoothie Girl, but we're we have a we have a account on Odyssey right now. And I'm sorry if I've talked about Odyssey before. I can't remember on all my different platforms. I'm obsessed with Odyssey because Odyssey O D Y S. I think O D Y S S E E. Maybe there's one S. I don't know. But you guys, this is on the blockchain. Nobody can. Nobody can. Um, censor this. In fact, I asked Dr. Fleming when we got started, I said, I'm going to send you an email for you to write back in writing and tell us whether we can publish this here because we can't take it down. No one can take right. it down. We can't take it down. Uh, the bad guys can't take it down. And so he, he just laughed and said, well, I think the horse is out of the barn and how I feel now. So I think he's going to say yes to that. But you guys have to check out Odyssey. I mean, there are amazing things that can happen and will happen if the free market innovation people can stay out in front of the globalists on this and it's it's anybody's guess who's going to win this it's a it's a matter of how many people will stand up to it so on behalf of my audience and 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 uh, all the people who watch this content i just want to thank you for your courage and please do come back when you're ready to release your book we appreciate you so much thank you Robin. i appreciate it